Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Coming up on DTNS, DoorDash reverses its course, Facebook gets super fined, and Google's assistant will stop talking to you about your lighting. This is Daily Tech News for Wednesday, July 24th, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. Salt Lake City, I'm Scott Johnson. And from a sweltering Southern California sun, I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. Now, oh, it underneath, be a, underneath. shouldn't be a surprise <laughs> that a, a guy from Salt Lake City could instruct us about salt and pepper shakers. But on Good Day Internet today, Scott blew our minds about how yeah. salt and pepper shakers work. Uh, right. If you, if you must know... Become a subscriber at patreon.com slash DTNS. However, for this show, let's start with a few tech things you should know. Google launched Gallery Go, which is a way to organize and edit Google Photos on a phone when offline. It uses 10 megabytes of space and can enhance and apply filters to photos while using machine learning to organize them. Gallery Go is available on the Play Store for phones running Android 8.1 Oreo or newer. Netflix launched its previously unannounced, or excuse me, announced mobile-only service in India for 199 rupees a month. That's about three bucks U.S. A previous test of the service had been more expensive. The new Netflix tier in India is less expensive than Hotstar, but more expensive than Prime Video. DoorDash CEO Tony Zhu wrote on Twitter that the company will change its practice of keeping customer tips rather than adding them to the delivery driver's pay. Zhu wrote uh, that the new model will ensure that workers' earnings will increase by the exact amount a customer's tips on every order. Adding, we'll have specific details in the coming days. Okay, well, I can't wait to hear those details. DoorDash's practice of keeping tips was covered by NBC News in February and again by the New York Times this weekend. So good for you, DoorDash. Right move to make. Speaking of food delivery, OpenTable's updated iOS app now includes food delivery through partnerships with Uber Eats, Caviar, and Grubhub from more than 8,000 restaurants in 90 U.S. cities. OpenTable plans to show estimated delivery times and costs in future updates. <laughs> that would be helpful. But no word if and when the new delivery feature will come to its Android app. Well, speaking of food on things, I don't know. Uh, try not to get food on your Nintendo Switch. But Vice is reporting <laughs> that Nintendo is fixing Switch controllers with Joy-Con Drift. For free, if you haven't heard of Joy-Con Drift, eh, little thumb pads, your your analog sticks are starting to 
drift a little bit and move in places they're not supposed to. A memo obtained by Vice also instructed Nintendo employees to refund any previous repairs for the same problem. Several users have reported Joy-Con controllers becoming unreliable and sometimes pointing in random directions when not in use. Ah, it's my favorite Fast and Furious uh, movie, Joy-Con Drift. <laughs> it was really good. They yeah. never quite got as good as that again. Uh, Hob, Shaw, and Mario. So good. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about that big old Facebook fine. Uh, let me tell you, it has been enjoyable for me in a way to watch the press just slobber over themselves about the $5 billion fine to the point that the actual announcement of the fine left them hard up for headline ideas today because they had already announced it was coming so many times. Uh, but it's now real. Facebook has agreed to pay a $5 billion fine to the U.S. Federal Trade Commission and submit to an oversight regimen that will last 20 years uh, for violating the previous FTC agreement uh, because it collected phone numbers for security but used the numbers for advertising purposes without disclosure. A lot of confusion, a lot of assumptions, a lot of jumping to conclusions about what Facebook is being fined for. It's being fined for the phone number thing. That is the one inexcusable thing, in my opinion, that it has done, which is tell you you needed a phone number for security and then use it for advertising. Uh, so they're rightly being punished for that. And because it violated a previous agreement, they're being punished with a large amount. The fine is 20 times more than the previous highest penalty from any privacy regulator in the world. It's also less than Facebook's Q1 profit. Facebook's board must now establish an independent privacy commission to remove CEO Mark Zuckerberg's control over decisions affecting user privacy. Compliance officers from Facebook must submit quarterly certifications that the company is following all FCC mandates regarding privacy. An independent assessor will review Facebook's privacy program twice a year. Uh, and on the same day, not related to the settlement, Facebook has announced it's stopping potential access to friends lists by Microsoft and Sony uh, that was due to some old code. We don't know if Microsoft and Sony were taking advantage of the access, but they still had it, and now they don't. They, they have changed that. Uh, Bloomberg points out that Facebook is already doing a lot of what was mandated. For instance, the privacy review, Facebook said in May 2018, it launched a product division focused on privacy uh, I'm sorry, they've been doing reviews since May 2018 and, and launched a product division focused on privacy last year. Uh, greater oversight of third-party use of data. Basically, Facebook has restricted what APIs could do, including that change that we just mentioned about Microsoft and Sony. Uh, there's a notice on facial recognition in the decision. Users can already opt out. And there's a help page explaining how the technology is used. Uh, and they'd already set aside $3 billion for the fine a, a while ago. Uh, so you can, you can argue whether this is going to hurt Facebook or not. But it certainly is not a pleasant thing. It's not something they want to do. And it will make Facebook hold up to privacy policies more strictly than they would have without it. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like, $5 billion, that's a lot. It's not a lot to Facebook. But how does this change how the company can do its business moving forward? And I think that's the bigger question. And some of this may be posturing, but it does sound like if, 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 government regulation is going to be so stringent for Facebook in the future based on what we've already heard. It, 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 it made, it made squelch what Facebook can do. Yeah. I was surprised by some of the language in here is interesting. Um, removing Mark uh, Zuckerberg, uh, having control over decisions affecting privacy Direct control. Yeah. Direct control. Right. Um, and that's interesting because if you are in a company where he is still founder CEO, um, and whatever rules are in place to sort of, you know, dictate who he is and what he is to the company now. Um, 
it still seems like if there's an entire division dedicated to consumer privacy, I, I mean, he's just not involved in that anymore. Well, no, like, he's involved. That's why it says direct control. This is a really good point to get to get a little clarity on. Uh, it's not that Zuckerberg can't say what the privacy policy will be. He just can't be the last word on it. He can say what the privacy policy will be, and it has to go past this independent privacy commission. Uh, mm. And they put the rubber stamp and go, yeah, Zuck, you can do that. Uh, he's also got this the, these other uh, compliance officers who have to look at what's being done and report on it and say, yeah, okay, we're still meeting the terms of our agreement. Uh, so in other words, he, he can't just decide on his own what that privacy policy will be. Be honest, uh, Facebook has done a lot over the past two, three years to change how they deal with privacy to the point that I, other than the fine, I don't think they're going to have to change things a lot. Uh, a lot of the articles I've been reading are bemoaning that this won't affect Facebook ad revenue. It won't make them change how they behave. But again, remember what they're being punished for is specifically saying they were collecting phone numbers for one reason and using them for another. And so the punishment is meant to focus on stopping them from doing that again. It's not meant to reduce the amount of money they can make or or change right. the way Facebook operates as a business. Well, and for the last year and some change, Facebook has been very vocal about how it wants to change its business. Yeah, sure, data is a big part of Facebook's business, but the company is trying to double down on cryptocurrency, trying to double down on the idea of people being more private uh, in their exchanges using the platform. So the company understands that things may change. They still want their bottom line to be sky high, which it has been. And again, this fine is not really going to eat into Facebook's bottom line all that much, but but. Uh, if, if, if the company is forced to do things differently in order to maintain a certain amount of revenue, can they do it? Yeah. Well, uh, turns out, yes, the answer is they're they're doing fine. Facebook reported Q2 revenue of $16.9 billion, up 28% year over year. Ad revenue rose 28% year over year to $16.6 billion. Monthly active users of Facebook rose 8% year over year to $2.41 billion. Daily active users rose 8% to $1.59 billion year over year. Uh, and uh, we would be remiss if we didn't point out that Facebook also paid another very much smaller fine, $100 million to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission over misleading disclosure related to Cambridge Analytica's misuse of data. Uh, it wasn't about the fact that the psychology professor gave the data to Cambridge Analytica without permission. It was the fact that when the SEC was investigating this, uh, Facebook described it as hypothetical uh, when they knew that it was real. So they're getting uh, punished for $100 million for that. Well, in earnings report land, Snap reported a loss of $0.06 cents per share and revenue of $388 million, beating expectations of a loss of $0.14 cents a share and revenue of $360 million. Snapchat added th $13 million daily active users in the quarter to reach $203 million overall. Biggest quarterly gain for the company since Q2 of 2016. So if you wondered if Snapchat was doing okay, they're doing okay. The audience watching Discover Video grew 35% year over year, and time spent on video on Snapchat grew 60% year over year. A lot of people watching video. This uh, particular statistic stuck out to me. More than 75% of the 13 to 34-year-old population in the U.S., 
is active on Snapchat. Yeah, mm. that's why uh, all of us and most of you listening <laughs> or watching are like, really? Are people using Snapchat for real? How are they not growing? between the ages of 13 and 34. That's why. Sure. I mean, my kids, 19, 22, and 25, hate Snapchat. But I, it's, you know, that's a very small sample group. I can't really say one way or the other. But I, I do have a theory that I'd like to posit. Mm-hmm. Um, I have noticed, because I consume a lot of other apps and other video services, I've noticed a lot of people will spend time creating video using filters in Snapchat because they're some of the best ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and goofiest ones and weirdest ones. And then they take that content, they save it out to their to their phone, and then they take that content and post it on TikTok. They post it on Instagram. They post it wherever else they're sure. being. And sometimes filmed. they don't crop it right. So you're like, it's the telltale Snapchat window. Yeah. You, you can totally tell. screenshot the quality, it. Yeah. The quality's not always great. Like there's always there's some weird artifacting issues with it, but it does seem like I, I guess I I guess I'm asking the question. Do you think, Tom, any of this is people being active using what Snapchat can do, but not necessarily spending a lot of time in Snapchat itself. Well, uh, yes, I'm sure that is part of this, but also uh, I don't think it makes up the majority of it, especially when you see Discover Video growing 35% year over year and time spent on that video growing 60%. Uh, right. Yeah, people are doing that. They're doing that because they use Snapchat regularly and like its filters. I don't think people do that if... They're like, well, I never use Snapchat because they wouldn't be able to keep up on the filters. They wouldn't well, think it's about consumption, it. right? The, mm-hmm. You can you can you can be on the app on a daily basis and never really contribute to anything, uh, but you're still counted as a daily active user or a monthly active user. That's kind of the way that I use Instagram Stories. Quite honestly, mm-hmm. I very rarely post, but I'm pretty active in consumption, and that is still that is that is a very uh, strong metric for the company Snap. Sure. Well, uh, let's move on to another kind of thing you can put your eyeballs on, and that's Amazon's third-generation Kindle Oasis, which now can adjust the color temperature of the display, tinting it yellow, not unlike uh, phones, night modes, and stuff like that you're starting to see in operating systems. Uh, iOS has that, or excuse me, macOS has that thing called Night Shift on the desktop, which lets you kind of yellow everything a little easier on the eyes. Uh, Anyway... It's designed to cut down on blue light for reading at night, since less blue light is shown uh, to be a positive effect on sleep schedules and eye strain. But The Verge's review of the new Oasis notes the warmer hue makes it look more like real paper than ever, even during the day. The Kindle Oasis hardware is otherwise unchanged from 2017 and at 250 bucks, almost twice the cost of the very popular Amazon Paperwhite e-reader, also in the Kindle line. That's the one I have, and... Um, it doesn't bother me, so I don't know why I would need this. Uh, for whatever reason, I am sensitive to blue light on phones, tablets, and computer screens, LED screens. It does bug me. Oftentimes, I'll wear like gunner-style glasses to sort of eliminate some of that strain. Ironically, I'm not today, but I do have night shift running as an alternative. But when it comes to the Kindle, I don't have this problem. So I don't. I. I mean, for me, it wouldn't be the, worth the two fifty. I'm sure somebody else out there that was going to benefit in a way. Well, I think it, that was kind of the 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 point that the Verge's review was making is uh, they they didn't realize how nice it was until they saw that sort of yellowish hue bringing it down so that it felt more like paper than ever because it's sort of like before we got a lot of retina screens. Yeah. I don't know. You just dealt with the text the way that you saw it. Mm -hmm. But then when you get that, you go, Oh, this is so much better. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's like a real book. Um, And yeah, as somebody who 
I don't read a ton. I, I try not to read a ton um, kind of at the end of the day for this very reason. You think, okay, well, the people read lots of different ways, but saying that, okay, if you've got a Kindle Oasis and you really care about your eyes and maybe you are going to be reading for, I don't know, an hour or more at a time, this would, this would make a big difference no matter what time of day. Nice pull, dude. Nice deep cut. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Now I just want to do that. Oh, man. Well, I mean, I I will add that's the whole point of the Kindle originally was the e-ink display was it's not an LCD. And so when you look at it, it doesn't have the same impact on your eyeballs. Uh, In fact, it was supposed to be very close to paper or reflective instead of an emissive display. It still is. It's just a matter of now we have backlit and backlit changes that equation a little bit. You're getting light that you wouldn't normally get. And so this sort of answers that. If you're talking about using it at the pool or whatever, you're not going to get any change uh, in that regard. Yeah. Oh, let's get in the yacht rock mode here. I like it. <laughs> Tom, Tom is on one right now. Uh, Tom, this might actually, you know, keep the party going. Google Assistant on the Google Home and Nest Hub devices will now respond to voice commands about lights. You want to turn them on, turn them off, dim them, maybe make them brighter with a chime rather than a repeat of the command. Some people did not like that. The change affects any command controlling lights, including on and off as well as brightness. Google also announced the 10-inch Nest Hub Max will launch on September 9th in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Australia. Yeah, I did this a long time ago when the Echo uh, gave you the option for all your commands to be like, we'll just respond with a chime unless you're asking us a question that we need to answer with a voice. Uh, And that ends up being mostly turning lights on and off, to be honest, uh, or setting timers and stuff like that. Google seems to be doing it a little differently. They're not giving you a choice. They're just doing it for lights automatically. Uh, yeah. But but still, uh, yes, you, you don't need your device to say uh, when you say, you know, turn on the lights, turning on the lights, <laughs> like yeah. just you just yeah. give me a tone to make sure that you heard the the response because sometimes the light doesn't go on and i get the chime and then i know oh okay the problem is not the echo the problem is the light you know something is up with that sure for my live with it segment that is currently ongoing i'm testing out some smart bulbs in the home and that was one of the things that i you know it was one of my immediate like first first notes is it's very annoying when she says okay i'll dim the lights i'm like i know just do it yeah so, so eventually, and I think Scott, you had the same, um, uh, this, this happened to you as well. Eventually Amazon's assistant, cause that's the one that I'm using with my Sonos ones, uh, said, Hey, if you don't want me to do this, I could just chime rather than talk to you every time I, I perform a command that has to do with smart bulbs. And I was like, yep. And that yes. was a real game changer. Well, for me, it was like a magical moment. Cause I'd never <laughs> up to that point, I hadn't heard about it before, but up to that point, my echo had never said, Hey, this thing I normally say to you, I can now just make a sound. Would you prefer that? That was like a moment of, you know what? Smart AI assistants are actually getting kind of cool. Like the fact that they can say that, give me a choice, uh, have this new way of interacting with it uh, is great. It also shows their commitment to the platform. I think Google as well with their uh, home systems. So this is nothing but cool to me. For me, it was just like, oh, wow, what, really? Okay, yes, please. Don't ever well, say it again. You and know? For, yeah. And for anybody who's like, was it really that big a deal? No, it wasn't. But 
every once in a while, you know, you kind of get into bed and you're, you know, ready to turn off the lights and you just, you just don't need, because you don't remember how loud the volume was the last time you left it. You just don't need a voice shouting at you like, yes, yeah. I'll turn off the lights. Now the, uh, the straw was not a big deal the first time it went on the camel's back, but after a while, <laughs> after a while, a you know what happens at poor yeah. camel. Yeah. Well, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe tap-to-pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The U.S. Department of Justice's Antitrust Division has launched a review to, quote, Consider the widespread concerns that consumers, businesses, and entrepreneurs have expressed about search, social media, and some retail services online. Now, that's kind of a passive-aggressive way of saying Google, Facebook, and Amazon, and I don't know, maybe Apple. Uh, The review will look at whether online platforms have, quote, reduced competition, stifled innovation, or otherwise harmed consumers, because antitrust law in the United States is very focused on consumer harm. The DOJ did not name any of the companies. However, U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who's not in the DOJ part of the government, he's in the Treasury Department, told CNBC that Amazon, by name, quote, destroyed the retail industry across the United States and that it's appropriate for the attorney general to investigate it and other tech companies. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I think... Reduced competition, I think we could all look at this and go, yeah, Google search, pretty dominant. Whether it's abusing its market dominance is a maybe different question. Uh, certainly Amazon is is very dominant in retail. Facebook, very dominant in social networking. Uh, but the stifling innovation one is, is of more interest to me. I, I think it's not cut and dried, but it's very easy to have the conversation about market dominance and competition. 
whether these companies have actually stifled innovation, which you also hear a lot of people saying, I think is harder to say and harder to tell. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I have, I've been wrestling with this since we started talking about it way early today when pre-prep was being made for the show. And I still kind of struggle with it because on the one hand, I think Google or uh, excuse me, Amazon finds itself in its dominant position primarily because it's done a really good job of giving people what they want, not only anticipating what people want, but then delivering that and then some. Uh, it doesn't feel like they got there through unfair practices. They were like any other online retailer. Uh, and there were many, many pretenders to the throne. Why did they do well? I don't think it was because of anything nefarious. But now they're in this position of dominance, which often happens. You know, if if your brick and mortar retail was dominated by Walmart, chances are Walmart was giving really good prices and other reasons why people went there all the time. Same thing happens with any kind of dominance. Um, and certainly the tech industry is no stranger to this, but in their particular case, I'm torn because I don't, I don't want it to, I don't want this situation to stifle innovation as it's being charged or to stop competition as it's being charged, whether those two things are true or not is uh, we could have an argument. Um, but at the same time, I don't know <laughs> penalizing them for being really good at the business they built. Well, but that's antitrust. That, that's what antitrust is for. Uh, antitrust doesn't mean you were a jerk on the way up. Uh, it doesn't even mean you you used questionable tactics on the way up. Antitrust is not making a moral judgment. Antitrust is saying you are this big and you are nobody can compete with the with best you. of intentions using your dominance to harm the consumer. That, that maybe even unintentionally, you're driving out competition in a way that harms the consumer or you're accidentally stifling innovation, right? Like we need to get away from everything being a, a, a moral argument uh, between. It, it doesn't matter whether these companies are evil, good or otherwise, uh, if they're in fact stifling innovation or uh, suppressing competition in a way that harms consumers, that's a violation of antitrust. Yeah, when I think about, and I'll use Amazon as an example again, even though I know that this is not the only company um, that that is being looked into, you know, the idea of Amazon harming the retail world as we all knew it as consumers, it's that's absolutely true. Has it really harmed me or has it made my life easier? Mm, questionable. And I know that your mileage may vary, but 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 the but the idea of harming consumers, I, I feel like a lot of it is it harms the consumer experience as we've known it for some time, which now is not dead, but it has it it, it has dwindled quite a bit in certain markets. I believe the consumer doesn't even have to be aware of the harm. Yes, that's one of the easiest ways to tell if there's consumer harm is the consumers out there going, hey, I don't like this. But uh, well, it's other retailers stifling really. innovation, for instance, the consumer wouldn't know. Like I, I, I didn't know that I could have had an option. Right. Sure. Uh, so the, so it doesn't have to be just consumer complaints. Um, but I, I look at the nineties and I think of HP and IBM and, and Microsoft, uh, Microsoft, particularly in the nineties, dominating the landscape. And there was no room for anyone else to move in. And the monopoly, uh, concerns about Microsoft were very real. And we started to have cases about them in the two thousands, but we started to have these cases come to court right as the market was changing because of new technology. It's not like the internet was new, but 
Google had started to make use of it in a new way. Uh, Amazon had been making use of it in a new way. Facebook was just about to start making use of it in a new way. And I think we're back to that mid-90s where it feels like, well, that's it. There's no more new ideas. There's no more innovation. Uh, But I think that's just part of a cycle where companies get big uh, and they dominate for a while. And then the question is, Will we get our next round of Googles and Facebooks and Amazons that come up with new technologies or exploit new technologies, or these big companies get a little bit of inertia and don't and can't move fast enough to deal with younger, faster companies? Uh, right now, it may not feel like that, but I didn't feel like that in the '90s either until suddenly it changed. Yeah, I mean, in the Microsoft example is the one that always pops up, and you could at least in that case point to practices that you would say oh well look at this they're making it so the default browser is this in every operating system that is anti-competitive because nobody in their right mind is going to click on anything else or know enough at least at the time well i'm going to find this firefox i've been hearing so much about or whatever they're just going to stay with what works but if i may interrupt just briefly that's still the case windows is still the dominant operating system and the default browser is edge it is but is it though yeah it is but is it the same as it used to be? It's like, just the it's conditions not, changed like where people realized, oh, but I don't want that. I want Chrome. Yeah, that's and a good point. now we have Chrome too dominant, but because people are choosing it. No, that's a good point. I hadn't really considered it that way. But uh, at the time, so I think this stuff can change. It's fluid, right? At right. the time, it felt like they were being unfair with their dominance with the browser. And you could point to things and say, well, it goes to their landing page, which is MSNBC or MSN.com, whatever it was. And that's also their own product. And they encourage you to use their search engine choice and all this other stuff. Like, I feel like that was bad for the time. But now everyone's smarter, more adaptive. And we are using other browsers and stuff. Maybe part of that's because they were forced to back down, especially in the UK. I don't know. But in this particular case... We're talking about a place where I buy my dog food, where I get the best deal on the particular thing I want, where I also use some of their services and they work out pretty well with some of my smart home devices and and all of that. It doesn't feel they just they just feel like they moved with the industry. They gave me better prices. They gave me free shipping. They did things I want. And it feels weird for them to get punished. I'm not like super pro Amazon or anything. No, no. And I'm not saying this isn't the one time that it's not that the cycle uh, doesn't work out that way. Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe something does need to be done this time. Uh, But it's not just been technology. I mean, Walmart was considered too dominant in the retail space. Well, and then Amazon came along and now it's not considered too dominant. In fact, it's considered one of the few competitors that can challenge Amazon. Uh, So these conditions do change and current conditions don't stay consistent. They don't stay the same. I think that's important when evaluating these kind of claims to to take that into account of like, yeah, it may be bad right now, but does it look like it's going to stay bad? It's hard to say, you know, that's that's always part of the problem with these things. Well, thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. We talk about these stories there often, and you are to thank for that. Submit stories and vote on others at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. We're also on Facebook. Join our group if you haven't already, facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. We got uh, point counterpoint going on in the mailbag today. 
Yeah. So we talked uh, yesterday about electric trucks. A listener who wanted to remain anonymous wanted to add to our electric Ford F-150 discussion that was yesterday. Says, I work for a municipality in Texas and our fleet is mostly F-150 to F-450 trucks. My city also generates its own electricity, 95% renewable, with 100% renewable coming in the next four years. We cycle through these $40,000 diesel and gasoline trucks every eight years or so, putting little mileage on them, but lots of work and idling hours. I hope at some point we can transition to all these vehicles to electric. May not make sense to own an electric truck as a consumer, but it may make sense that tax dollars be spent this way. Ah, but John wrote in and said, now hold on. While the average truck user could probably get by with an electric Ford, there's still a big outlier that may never get solved. Trucks get used in areas and ways that preclude any kind of charging. It's not just the range. Even if you had a 500-mile range, you can find yourself in a pasture feeding cattle or a back road plowing snow and not enough charge to make it back. In a fuel-powered truck, you fill a can and bring it to the vehicle. If they could make the batteries modular and removable or an emergency battery plugged in, you could possibly partially solve it. But nobody who depends on zero downtime will go electric even with that. In a gas or diesel truck, you just gas up and go. I only see it viable with fully replaceable, fully modular, field-swappable batteries, and we're a long way off from that imho. Imho. I agree with him, by the way. I think that's the that's when that stuff takes off like crazy. Batteries, man. Move yeah. them around. Yep. Making them higher capacity, making them easier to charge, making them hot swappable like he's talking about. Like, And I like that John's not saying like, and therefore electric trucks will never work. He's saying, yeah, but in this use case, yeah. they, the technology still has a ways to go before they can replace gas. I, I would say John is part of the solution, Tom. Mm. <laughs> he's not <laughs> well, part of the problem. Nope. Well, thanks to Anonymous and John for writing in about this. And we got a few others as well. And also thanks to Scott Johnson for being on the show today. Scott, where do people keep up with your work? Well, uh, they can head on over to frogpants.com as usual. There's lots of shows that I produce every day, uh, including another one I do with Tom called Current Geek. I think people would really enjoy that as well. We're in our like 228th episode of that thing. Lots of other great shows. So go check it out, frogpants.com. And if you are interested in what my brain says at any given moment, why twitter.com slash scott johnson is the place to be hey uh big thanks to cody georgeson who has been supporting daily tech news show uh for more than five years now and all of the fine folks who support us and get things like shannon morris's threat wire update about how incognito mode is back to being able to protect your privacy again uh that's in the threat wire cross post and showed up in all the patreon feeds if you're a patron at patreon.com slash dtns our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. Keep those emails coming. We love reading them. We're also live Monday through Friday. Join us if you can. 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Justin Robert Young. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. You have enjoyed this program. <laughs> All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Ah. 
Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.